0: Welcome back, Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Of this hour, the Alaska Triangle, which is an area that's, I guess, somewhat akin to the Bermuda Triangle. It's got its unsolved mysteries and disappearances. My guest believes the region is a hot spot for unusual activity because of vortex or magnetic energy coming out of the Earth's core. Planes have vanished, and some have theorized they have traveled into a portal. Mike Ricksecker is the author of the Amazon best-selling A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People, eight historic paranormal books, and the esoteric tome Alaska's Mysteri- Mysterious Triangle. He's appeared on multiple television shows and programs as a paranormal historian, including travel channels The Alaska Triangle, Discovery Plus's Fright Club, Animal Planet's The Haunted, Bio Channels My Ghost Story, and uh, Mike also produces his own internet supernatural-based shows on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel uh, and the Connecting the Universe interactive class through the Connected Universal or sorry Connected Universe portal, respectively. Haunted Road Media is also his own paranormal and supernatural book publishing and video production company representing a number of paranormal authors, winning the Award for Excellent Media in the paranormal field at the 2019 Shockfest Film Festival. And uh, uh, he's also, (laughs) as if that's not all enough, what a busy man. He's the author-editor of a number of books, including Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, Deadly Airs, The Inscription of Evil Times, Ghosts of Maryland, Ghost Story and Case Files Volume 1, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, encounters with the paranormal campfire tales midwest and a walk in the shadows a complete guide to shadow people wow mike ricksecker you're a busy man how are you
1: <laughs> doing pretty, pretty well richard i i uh, really appreciate that yeah pretty busy um it's been a long week i just got back from a three-day event uh the Parapsychon event down uh, at the ohio state reformatory so um but i uh, still going. Had to jump right on here and talk with you this evening, and I'm really happy for that.
0: Well, likewise. Great to have
1: you. Uh, are you in Alaska? No, I'm, I'm not in Alaska. I did spend three years up there, uh, 1992, 1995, when I was uh, part of the U.S. Air Force. And then for the Alaska Triangle Television Show, uh, it was a real treat that they flew me back up there so that we could film the show.
0: And uh, the Alaska Triangle, uh, geographically, can you kind of give us um, the, the configuration or the, uh, the the border?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it stretches from Juneau, which is the southernmost point, up to Anchorage, right in the middle, and then all the way to the northernmost. Uh, Yukiavik is the name of the town. It used to be Barrow, uh, but they changed the name back to the native Inuit a few years ago. And it encompasses
0: about 180,000 square miles. Wow. Wow. 180,000 square miles. Most of it wilderness, I'm guessing? Yeah, yeah. Alaska's pretty remote.
1: Uh, I mean, it has Juneau, Anchorage, Fairbanks is in the middle there. Uh, and those are really the three major cities in Alaska. It's uh, a very sparsely
0: populated state. How does that compare to the uh, footprint of the Bermuda Triangle? Um, they're comparable,
1: uh, really, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the, the dimensions, uh, if you look at like the angles of what they consider the triangles, a little bit different, uh, with Bermuda as, as it goes from, uh, San Juan to Bermuda and then of course to, to Miami. Now, when we call it a triangle, I mean, we're picking three major points of an area that, um, that tends to have a lot of activity, but it's. You know, this activity stretches outside of of those definitive boundaries, I mean, in, in other words, the boundaries aren't as definitive as those points.
0: And how far back do these uh, do this um, unusual activity within the the Alaska Triangle begin? How far back did you trace it?
1: Um, yeah, it's a good question. You know, because Alaska is a relatively new state, and you know we've been. Uh, you know, We've been interacting up there since uh, maybe the 1700s, some of the reported activity that we've seen dates back into the late 1800s. But when you get into the native Alaskan legend and lore and some of the activity that they reported, now you're talking back, you know, hundreds, even, you know, a thousand years. And if you get into, like, if you look at some of the giant lore uh, that, that the native Inuit have, now we're talking
0: tens of thousands of years. Tens of thousands. And what is the first documented, recorded, um, let's say, disappearance, plane disappearance in uh, the mysterious Alaska Triangle?
1: Yeah, some of these date back into the 1920s. I don't remember the specific date offhand. I think it was 1928 where uh, one of these planes went missing. Of course, no, you're talking an older, archaic airplane. Uh, but some of the more significant ones, you know, 1950 of Douglas Skymaster uh, carrying 44 uh, Air Force personnel, went missing completely without a trace. The, uh, the most famous one was the 19 to, uh, 1972 Boggs-Begich disappearance, which was carrying House Majority Leader Hale Boggs at the time, as well as uh, Alaska Congressman Nick Begich. Uh, and so you have some really high-profile cases there, but Planes go missing quite often up there, um, and in fact, I was just talking with an, uh, a person this weekend who had a, a family member whose plane went missing many years ago, and they still you know have never found a trace of it. Uh,
0: you mentioned Boggs. Hale Boggs was also in the a member of the uh, the Warren Commission that investigated the JFK assassination. He was one of the a lot of people think, oh, the Warren Commission was a slam dunk it was, it was unanimous. no. I think it was, uh, was it four to three? Uh, Hale Boggs was one of the dissenting voices. And some have tried to make that connection that, uh, that Hale Boggs' plane disappearance was, you know, somehow connected to his views on the Kennedy assassination. Now, there's also a, a legend. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you can weigh in on this or not but and i don't know if this is an apocryphal story but it's often repeated that the person who drove hale boggs to the um, to the airport before he disappeared was william jefferson clinton <laughs> have you heard that story is there any truth to that um i don't know if there's really
1: any truth to that but um you know, since you're on the conspiracy theory aspect of this with, with uh, Hale Boggs, yes, he dissented against the Warren Commission. Uh, he he made some enemies uh, in, in the political circles. And so there was an interesting report that came out uh, a few years ago. It was actually fairly recent. It was uh, maybe eight, ten years ago. And there was an individual who came forward to give some information about um, some different nefarious acts and and crimes that he had partaken in in Alaska way back in the day. He was he was getting older and wanted to to fess up. He talked about a lot of different crimes. One of them, however, dealt with the Hale Hale Boggs Nick Begich disappearance, in which uh, he stated that his job was taking up, you know, all these these different side jobs. one of them was to load up a. Uh, some sort of briefcase or package onto that airplane. Just put it on there, walk away, Mm -hmm. which is what he did. Of course, the plane disappeared. Somebody had informed him later on that this package actually contained an explosive. Mm. And so they, you know, people wanted a reinvestigation of this case. The authorities never went anywhere with it. Uh, Their stance was that, well, you know, We we scoured that area. It was at the time it was the largest search and rescue mission in U.S. history. They even had spy planes out there looking for it for this uh, for this wreckage, which there was none. It just completely disappeared. And since then, we're talking 50 years ago in 50 years time, you know, other planes have, have either gone down or gone missing in the area and they have never found any scrap whatsoever of the bogs baggage playing them. So they said, you know, if there was an explosion uh, of this plane, at some point we would have found some shrapnel or uh, pieces of metal or something uh, to to give us some evidence that this explosion happened. And they, they never found that. So, you know, take for it what you will. Was, you know, was there really an explosive on that plane that brought it down or... Was there some other means that it just completely
0: disappeared? Sixteen thousand people have mysteriously vanished in Alaska. Most of those in planes, or
1: how? Um, no, it's an it's an assortment. Um, you know, you have a lot of people, and, and some of these disappearances, you know, are just legitimate. People do get lost in the woods. They get mauled by a bear. They're kidnappings, Things like that. Uh, the number sixteen thousand is—it's a high number, especially for a very sparsely populated state like Alaska. You're talking—you uh, know—Alaska as a state has about roughly the same popula- population as the city of San Francisco. Uh, so th- there's not there's not a whole lot. I mean, San Francisco is a large city in a very large state, but um, yeah, Alaska itself, uh, you know, does not have a, a lot of people. So 16,000 is a high percentage uh, of of people that have gone missing. And some of these are actually rather public. So I know David Paulides has done a lot of Mm -hmm. work here on people that go missing in the woods. And that happens uh, up there as well. But uh, a pretty famous case uh, back in uh, 2012, Michael Lemaitre. it was during what's called the Mount Marathon Race, uh, which is held in Seward, Alaska every year. And... He went running up the mountain just like everybody else, never came back down. They have no idea what happened to him. Again, they scoured the areas. They're thinking, okay, did he fall off the path somewhere, hurt himself? They never found any evidence of him anywhere. They have no idea what happened to him in the middle of a public race.
0: Uh, what is the um, – when, when you spend time inside the triangle, I mean is there a noticeable – change in energy I mean do you get a a bad vibe when you step foot in the inside the triangle what's it like well I mean when I first stepped in the
1: triangle this is 1992 um, I was I was pretty well shocked I mean I was a young kid so I was (laughs) I was getting kind of shell-shocked anyway of uh, being away from home for the first time and all that but uh, when I first stepped off the play it was November, November 1st 1992 a couple months beforehand uh, Mount Spur across the Cook Inlet from Anchorage and Elmendorf Air Force Base had just erupted, so there is still ash falling from the sky, kind of mixed in uh, with with the snow, uh, which was just a real culture shock for me. You know, we we're having to cover up computers and things like that at night so that the uh, the ash wouldn't you know, damage them. A lot of earthquakes up there. Um, yeah, the energy itself is uh, is really palpable. Uh, it's you know the U.S. Department of the Interior in 1965 did a uh, did a survey up there covering about 100,000 square miles. Now Alaska itself is over 600,000 square miles, so they only covered about a sixth of the state, but it's still a pretty sizable chunk. And in that 100,000 square miles, they did uh, they detected what they called these magnetic characters and five distinct ones. And within these magnetic characters, they described in some cases. Negative anomalies. so this is you know, our government conducting scientific surveys of the land and finding this uh, strange magnetism that's there. You also have the you know, what, what's causing the aurora borealis, which is you know, the solar flares from the Sun. And around the poles of our planet, the magnetic shield that protects us from these flares is thinner, which is why we see a lot of these auroras and the strong ones, uh, penetrate even further, and every you know eleven years we have those mass coronal ejections that uh, you know people talk about. You know could wipe out a uh, you know entire electric grid. So really, you have this whole soup and cocktail of these different energies: you know, seismic, volcanic, uh, the magnetic energy welling up from the ground, as well as the solar flare activity that just you know, cause some really strange things to happen.
0: So is it? Um I mean there are other locations around the world like the Skinwalker's Ranch. Um, people talk about uh, the Hudson Valley, a lot of UFO activity there. There's something to do with uh, maybe the um, the mineral uh, component in the soil um, or, as you mentioned, magnetic activity. Uh, does it then become – it's not just about disappearances, right? It's It becomes sort of this – one stop shopping, you know, for for all paranormal activity. So not only do you have disappearances, you also have UFOs, cryptids. Is it is it all there in one in one place? Yeah, you have a lot of different things happening.
1: Um, kind of like you're you're saying there, the uh, you know, you have these geological features. Uh, you know the you have the magnetism of the Earth's core. That's constantly churning and is is welling up from below. And as it passes through different metals and minerals in the soil, as that magnetism interacts with those elements, it creates different magnetic anomalies. And in these areas, like you mentioned Skinwalker, there's the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, the Dragon Triangle out in um, uh, the Japan area, they have these different effects. So yeah, it's not just missing airplanes and people Uh, you have heightened paranormal activity you have a lot of uh, ufo activity that is reported you have these different cryptid sightings you have things that we could call time slips Uh, you know there's a lot of different things going on in these areas the thing is is that it's it's heightened there's more of it going on we have paranormal activity and ufo sightings all over the world but in these locations there seems to be more of that
0: Mike, what's the the most unusual or frightening thing that you experienced inside the uh, Alaska Triangle? Um, yeah, there were a, a couple
1: of things. Now, one that I just want to put on the table first that was just kind of shocking, um, which wasn't a personal experience, but happened while I was up there. Uh, it was April 1993, and there was an airplane, a cargo uh, jet, taking off from the Anchorage Airport, and it was about fifteen hundred feet in the air, and the engine, one of the engines, just fell right off of the airplane and landed in a supermarket parking lot. Oh dear! Fortunately, Lord. nobody was hurt. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was crazy. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. Landed on the backside of the parking lot. Even the shrapnel that rained down from the sky from this thing um, was crashing through the roofs of people's houses and into apartment buildings and things like that. Nobody somehow, some way, nobody was ever hurt. Plane ended up landing back at uh, the Anchorage Airport and they said that it was you know, some sort of, you know, structural mishap. But you, you kinda of wonder, you know, a a jet engine just falling off a plane is really, really crazy. So that was just shocking news while I was there. But I did have some personal experiences while I was there. Now, like I mentioned I was stationed at Elmendorf Air Force Base in 1992 and 1995. Uh, the first year, I was basically just waiting for my security clearance to come in. The second two years, I was uh, positioned in the basement of the Alaska Command Building. There was a communication center down there. I worked on computers, and uh, we were working on command and control systems. So uh, this is you know, transferring data, messages, things like that, uh, between commanders to different bases, send out orders, things like that. In that computer center, and especially in the back office areas, we witnessed a lot of shadow activities. So shadows starting about, uh, you know, you could be sitting in your chair and all of a sudden you get this, like, creepy feeling. Okay, something's going on, something's up. And then out of the corner of your eye or you turn and you look and all of a sudden there's this sh- what we'd call shadow figure walking down the hall. Looks like a human being, translucent, And it would just either go into a wall, disappear, go down the hall, you'd never see it again. Some of these things are darting into a uh, uh, a little back office area behind the computer center that had all these old printers. They like to dart in there. Uh, So this was something that a lot of us saw. We really couldn't talk about it too much because if uh, your superiors kind of heard you talking about some of these different unusual things – where the paranormal activity goes, you might find yourself down at mental health, which isn't a good thing because if you go down at mental health and they deem that you're not stable, you would have your security clearance pulled, which is definitely not a good thing because um, you know, that keeps you in your position. Right, right. And, uh, and, and, and learning you know, things that you're there to learn and, and to, and to uh, perform your duties. So it was really kind of just discussed amongst us. Okay. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Or like with my supervisor one time when we had our first conversation when I was first stationed there, um, I just, as we're talking, saw a shadow pass by the office door and he noticed that I saw it. And all he simply said was, yeah, that happens here. And that was it. That's as much as he left it at. Uh, But. Some of the, uh, the lower ranking individuals, such as myself, uh, but the stories that they were passing around at the time was that what we were witnessing were, were spirits from people who had passed away long ago. The idea was that this building had once been a hospital in this basement area that we were at was the morgue and the uh, what we called the rack room where we had these you know, racks of different computer equipment, patch panels, that sort of thing. This was where they housed the coolers. Now, when I did research for my book, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, I wanted to confirm that story.
0: This was something that you know
1: I had you know, been told back in the day.
0: Mike, and, pardon and I the I interruption. To I've got to, Sorry for like, the interruption. I've got to jump in here. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll pick up on this story, Shadow People at the, uh, the Military Base. Mike Ricksecker, the author of Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. Stay with us. As you know, GetTheTea.com has been a sponsor of my show for quite some time. Their all-natural life-change tea with a unique blend of 12 herbs has helped many of you to keep your digestive tract clean and healthy. It's so easy. You just brew, steep, refrigerate, and drink. One to two glasses a day helps keep your insides clean. You shower on a daily basis, right? So why not shower your insides with this delicious herbal made-in-the-USA tea that has helped thousands? GetTheTea.com is not a fad. They've been around for 14 years. It's a- an essential part of my life. My favorite is the pomegranate tea and they're giving it to you for $8 off exclusively for my listeners. Why not make it an essential part of your life today? Go to getthetea.com slash Richard. That's getthetea.com slash Richard and save today. Remember, it's easy. Just brew, steep, refrigerate and drink. Keep your gut healthy. They also carry an amazing variety of natural herbal supplements. Check them out at getthetea.com. We've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto, but did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that the YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest, as you simply do what he does. Let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel. Since March 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put in a hundred dollars into each one, it would now be worth over $53,000. So if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but listeners get full access for just one dollar. You can't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because the offer ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. Don't take this offer like... This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. Mike Recksecker, author, researcher, filmmaker. His uh, latest is Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. Mike, before the break, you were talking about shadow people uh, in the basement where you worked in this uh, U.S. Uh, military base. It used to house a morgue. So your thoughts are that this was the uh, these are these shadow people are um, what spirits of the uh, the dear, dearly departed? I mean, because shadow people, I think of shadow people as being something interdimensional, but not your run of the mill sort of like ghost or apparition. Or am I wrong?
1: Well, uh, they are an assortment of different things, and that was the original idea uh, that these were were spirits of. The people from the morgue. the The problem was when I did the research for the the building. I discovered that the building was only ever used for command. It never was a hospital. So the the story that was being passed around uh, thirty years ago was, was incorrect. So it was it was their way of trying to explain what was going on, and ah. that was that was the story they put together. So it started making me ask the question: Okay, if these aren't actually human spirits, what shadow entities can be? And we can talk about that. Uh, you know what. You know, what was going on there? And I started thinking this was more of a, you know, some sort of time slip because I've seen this at other locations and, and in other cases where uh, what's being observed is another moment in time and it's kind of passing through our moment. That, our moment that we're witnessing and this other moment uh, from back in, whether it's the past or the future, are you know, resonating at the same frequency and we're getting a glimpse of that. Uh, to answer the other question, you know about about shadow entities, they can be an assortment of different things. Sometimes it's just a human spirit; they can't fully manifest as an apparition. They can, uh, I, I believe, a true shadow person, uh, like you were saying, is a is some sort of interdimensional being. Uh, some of these are actually uh, you know, E.T.s, extraterrestrials, which is uh, you know I was on Ancient Aliens there a couple months ago. Uh, they can be astral projections, or like I was just kind of talking about their time slips. So these can be a variety of different things.
0: There is, speaking of aliens, there is uh, um, a rumor that there is an ET, ET base up there uh, in, inside the triangle, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there could be several uh, ET bases there, but probably the, the most famous story here is, is Mount Hayes. Uh, there was some remote viewing done by Pat Price back in the day. He was a famous remote viewer during the 1970s for uh, Project Stargate. And uh, a lot of the uh, the hits that he was getting, uh, you know, correlated very very well with uh, with intelligence that we were receiving. Uh, you know, when we were trying to remote view, uh, you know, Russian assets and things like that. The old Soviet Union. But he came forward one day to help put off, you know, Stanford Research Institute with a list of different locations. He had done some remote viewing on his own and said, y- "You might have an interest in these." And one of these locations was Mount Hayes and. Uh, in his observations, uh, he had detected some sort of alien presence there within the mountain. Uh, he had witnessed some different technology between you know, different computer equipment, oscilloscopes, weather equipment, that sort of thing. But he also, uh, within the mountain for the personnel that were that was working on this equipment, he witnessed what he called these superhumanoid super type beings. And his description of them were very alien-like. Now, he died under very mysterious means. And over the years, uh, people who ran Project Stargate on occasion would give these coordinates of Mount Hayes to various remote viewers. And they remarkably came up with, with some very similar ideas, stories, and what we call hits that really helped to substantiate uh, uh, Pat Price's initial impressions of Mount Hayes.
0: Would this be an underground base? Is it
1: underneath the mountain? This, yeah. Yeah, this would be an underground base. It would be underneath the, the mountain. Uh, there's a lot of UFO activity around the area, uh, but there's, there's no road that goes there. Uh, for the Alaska Triangle television show that I was a part of, uh, they, they uh, flew James Fox, James Fox up there, and uh, they landed him on a, uh, you know, a little Cessna plane onto one of the glaciers that's right there on Mount Hayes and, you know, trying to have a little bit of a look around, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very, very remote area and this base is supposed to be in the mountain.
0: And, um, is it rumored that there's, is there cooperation between the U.S. Air Force or the U.S. military and, uh, the, the ETs in this base or, um, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 other personnel that Pat Price had observed uh, were actual U.S. military personnel, uh, kind of mixed branches. But it seemed like a lot of Air Force and I believe some Navy was mixed in there as well. Uh, but, uh, but, but everybody you know got really concerned, of course, about the, the the ETs that he witnessed. So they were having some sort of joint operation there together between our military and the ETs.
0: Do you think that that could explain some of the disappearances, the presence of these uh, this ET base? Um, it could. I mean,
1: you know, we have a lot of uh, ET abductions now, whether they were uh, you know, personnel from this particular base that were abducting them. We don't know. We can't verify that because there have been several uh, you know, UFO sightings uh, throughout Alaska over the decades. Uh, so you know like, kind of mentioned the uh, Douglas Skymaster earlier. Uh, that was 1950. Well, a couple of days beforehand, there were UFO sightings around the Kodiak area that lasted for several hours. Uh, the Navy observed these between a, uh, a, a Navy a recon pilot and then one of the uh, ships that was in the area. There were several witnesses on the ships uh, that that witnessed this phenomenon. And that was a couple of days before that disappearance. Also, a couple of days afterward, there were witnesses on Elmendorf Air Force Base that uh, saw UFO activity. So you see a lot of UFO activity around these disappearances as well. It don't necessarily have to you know, specifically correlate with Mount Hayes, but UFO activity in the area nonetheless.
0: And what about reports of abductions inside the triangle?
1: Um, abductions do happen. Uh, one that was really interesting, in, it, it's hard to say whether it's you know, ET-related or cryptid-related or maybe almost the same thing, um, he had a little boy that, that went missing some years back, uh, about 20 years ago. And he just, it's going to sound silly to say, but he just kind of magically appeared, uh, out in the wilderness. One day there were some hunters that were in the area and they all just, all of a sudden just noticed him standing there amongst these bushes. Now there were no tracks, uh, up to the boy. He just suddenly appeared there. And it, it's not like he walked there because there were no tracks in the snow. So you know, they they brought him to safety, uh, and you know, started asking him, okay, you know where you know, where did you come from? Where have you been? You know, what happened? And he described that he had been taken, he had been abducted into uh, the mountains, uh, the Wrangell Mountains, and within this mountain, there he met these these small. People, um, you know, they may have been greys. Some people may call them gnomes, or you know, a lot of different terms uh, for these things. And the native Inuit have some different legends for these for these smaller people. But he also met this other little girl there that uh, she claimed that she had been within this mountain there for forty years, but she hadn't aged at all because she was still a little girl. After a few days of being there, for whatever reason, these little people, whether they're the greys or Gnomes or whatever they they may have actually been, they decided to let the boy go, and then there he appeared before the hunters. And this was reported in the newspapers up there. This wow. was actually a legitimate news
0: story. Wow, that's remarkable. Um, I I have Mary Joyce on the program from time to time. Uh, I'm not sure if you're mm-hmm. familiar with Mary's work, and she's yeah. written about the the Cherokee little people. Um, so it sounds like you know they're there is a tradition of uh, Native American tradition of little people all over the place. Do you th- are they uh, just a- another, another branch of the human tree or are they, do you think that they are, in fact, ETs? Hey,
1: that's a good question because uh, we have found evidence of, of smaller uh, humanoid people on our planet. Uh, it's kind of come back into the news here recently, but 20 years ago, uh, in the, on the island of Flores in uh, Indonesia, they found you know, what people kind of dubbed the Hobbit, Hobbit right. uh, and people. And there's a, a book coming out here. I forget the anthropologist's uh, name. But through collecting stories from the, the native Leo people on the island, he believes that there still may be pockets of these smaller humans in the area uh, on that island. And I, I find that really fascinating because um, you, you have all kinds of people that write books about you know, whether it's the little people or uh, you know maybe it's Bigfoot or, or something like this or these different cryptids, and they get scoffed at. But you know this guy's an anthropologist and he's gonna, going to write a book strictly on these are stories I collected and I believe they're still there. So I find that kind of ironic. But um, but yeah, there could be you know pockets of small. People like that still on this planet. But we also have the reports of you know, smaller extraterrestrial type beings that you know, either they've abducted people or they just stand and watch and observe, study humanity, that sort of thing. Uh, so it, it's hard to know which one we're actually dealing with.
0: And then there are the giants, and we'll get to those. Yeah. On the other side, Mike Ricksecker, author, researcher, filmmaker, MikeRicksecker.com, the website, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. We'll also uh, dip into some questions from the YouTube live chat next. There I call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60, for my good friends at C60Evo.com. And I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58, and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle. C60 from C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet there are several tiers to choose from pick which one is right for you but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated as a sign of my appreciation you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream you could also receive episodes of my old podcast the rock and roll twilight zone this critically acclaimed podcast produced in partnership with Chris Jericho is not currently available anywhere else Else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. All right, Mike Ricksecker stays with us, and we're talking about uh, Alaska's mysterious triangle. We mentioned the 16,000 people that have mysteriously gone missing across its landscape. Over the years, but uh, I'm just reading a blurb from the book. It says here since 1988. Is that 16,000 since 1988? Yes, yeah, 16,000 since 1988. Oh my gosh! I mean, that takes it into a whole new dimension. I was thinking yeah. like through you know through the through recorded history, maybe 16,000. But in the in in less than 35 years, 16,000 people. That's just you know beyond the pale. Yeah, the, the number is
1: astronomical. It outpaces every other state in the country there be giants in the triangle.
0: Tell me about them.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, interesting. This is, uh, I hadn't gotten too deep into giant research, kind of surface level. Um, you know, it's always you know, interested in some of the lore. Of course, you have the you know, ties back to some of the biblical stories. So kind of surface level interest. But when I started doing research for this book, it just sparked a whole new uh, interest for me. There are a lot of interesting Native American legends about giants coming over from Siberia. It's a very, very fascinating handwritten book that was put together by uh, a native Inuit back in the 1930s. His English name was Michael Kazimuk, uh, but he was a, a native Inuit and he wanted to compile all the Inuit legends before he had passed away. So he hand wrote out 500 pages of, of these stories and legends, and many of these were giant stories. And uh, to me, there, there was certainly a fascination of talking about. Uh, Giants coming over from Siberia, of course, crossing over the land bridge. Because we've seen lately uh, in the news, these reports of the Denisovan remains that have been found. And these appear to be larger humanoid type people that lived in Siberia and then down in the
0: uh, Tibet region. Right. Technologically advanced. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Wore fine jewelry and played musical instruments. Mm -hmm. And some even suggest they had like almost like power tools, things like that. Right. Right. Yeah, it's truly fascinating. It, you
1: know, there's so much of our history that we've lost, and you know the uh, traditionalists really don't want to acknowledge that. But we keep finding more and more of it. So, you know, I was trying to draw some of those parallels and lines. Of okay, are some of these giants that are in these legends were they possibly Denisovans that that uh, came over the land bridge with some of the the other people? Some of the other giant legends that that he mentioned talked about some of these giants that were interbreeding with the humans uh, with the the human females to produce these other giant like uh, beings and so it really harkened back to the stories of, of the Nephilim that you had you know the watchers that were uh, that were mating with the human women and producing these giants and the, the the way that he wrote out the stories were very very similar to the Nephilim story so that was fascinating to me that wait a minute so you're telling me that This story that, you know, traditionally comes out of the Middle East, we're finding this same story in Alaska. It really just made the whole world a lot
0: smaller. Let's get to the YouTube live chat. Thinker asks, what do you know about the pyramids in Alaska and how do they affect the triangle?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a question I keep getting uh, a lot lately. That was um, episode one of season two of the Alaska Triangle. The Black Pyramid, uh, that's an interesting story. Um, unfortunately, most of it's just anecdotal. But in the early 1990s, there was an, China was doing some nuclear testing, and from these blasts, they knew that they're going to be getting some uh, seismic shocks throughout the world. So geologists in Alaska had set up you know, their equipment to uh, to detect these shocks, and through this, they found through the shock waves this pyramidal structure under Mount Denali. It used to be known as Mount McKinley, they changed it back to Mount Denali. So this story aired in Anchorage during the early 1990s, there was a, uh, an individual, Doug Munchler, who uh, was in the army, worked on Fort Richardson, and saw this story, started calling up friends and family. Hey, did you, did you see this story? You know, look you know, for another, uh, for the station to air it again or another station uh, that may air the story. Nobody was finding the story. So you know, it really perplexed them. So he went down to the uh, to the television station and asked, OK, you know, I saw this story, but I'm not seeing any follow up. What's going on with it? They claimed that they never aired it. He was really disappointed. They just said, no, we don't know what you're talking about. We didn't air it, et cetera, et cetera. And basically asked him to leave the bu- the building. Well, as he's walking out of the building, there was a junior staffer that approached him and said, well, he pulled him aside kind of secretly and he said, well, we actually did air. Uh, this story, except there are some other men who came in earlier and confiscated the tapes oh, and made oh, off of them. Oh, wow. We were not allowed to talk about it, so kind of like almost men in black type mm-hmm. of a moment here you know, some, sort of, some sort of cover up and so you 've seen stories like this over the years that people have talked about contributed to what may be going on there under Mount Denali with this black pyramid. The idea is that uh, this was you know, some sort of power plant built. You know, Kind of almost like uh, you know the idea of the Giza Pyramid being a, a power plant, and was able to harness enough power to be able to provide electricity for it, not just there in Alaska, but also extending into Canada. Uh, the The pyramid is to be you know very uh, the, the stone is supposed to be very dark and black in nature, which is uh, why they call it the Dark Pyramid or the Black Pyramid.
0: All right, Mike, another uh, timeout awaits. On the other side, back to some more YouTube live chat questions, more of our conversation about Alaska's mysterious triangle. Mike Ricksecker stays with us. Don't go away. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. All right. All right. This is a, um, all right, well, on top of everything else, you've got a lake monster up there, Iliamna, is that what, uh, is, is that what it's called? Yeah, Iliamna. Iliamna, yeah. Yeah, this is a, this is a freshwater, uh, monster, right? How, how, tell me about it, how, what does it look like, supposedly? Yeah, um, you know, people compare it
1: to, uh, you know, the Loch Ness Monster, you know, uh, Nessie, so they call it Ili, uh, but, uh, uh, of course, again, very large in nature it's like a uh, like a light grayish in color, so when it was first really being witnessed uh was it was from the air in nineteen forties and uh you know people were thinking that there was some you know either maybe a strange boat in the water like they when they're viewing it from the air or maybe there was a plane that had gone down because they had that metallic type of color to it uh, but then they weren't finding anything so one of the these uh, interesting cases with uh, with Illy was you know, one of these individuals who had seen it uh, a couple of different times, and he was a really reputable uh, guy. Uh, God, I forget his first name, but last name was uh, crapuchets and uh, he was a uh, a pastor and a teacher and all, all these different things, but also a pilot. And he had seen it from the air over the lake. Call up one of his one of his buddies on the ground. Hey, I see this thing you know, go out there in the water. So he takes his float plane out on the water, uh, sets up some different hooks and things like this on the float plane. And he's, he's out there on, uh, uh, on the edge of the plane. And all of a sudden something grabs a hold of the hooks, mm-hmm. knocks him off the plane, drags the plane across the lake. They finally find the plane later on. And the hooks that he had uh, put in there, these are like big tuna hooks, like, you know, like big 12 inchers. They were completely straightened out. They're like no longer hooks. Uh, you know, plane was damaged. It's, you know, bizarre incidents. So they're talking this up to, to Italy.
0: Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, the first thing I think of when I think of a, a large freshwater fish that reaches that length, you know, I think of maybe a sturgeon uh, or an an eel of some sort. I don't know if they do. They have eels in Alaska? They do, yeah. Yeah, but smaller, not, you know. Massive like this, right? Nothing that's going to straighten out a twelve-inch hook, a tuna hook. Has it ever been seen out of the water, or is it strictly? It's strictly in the water? been in the
1: water. Yeah, they don't see it outside the water.
0: Anyone ever been attacked by it? Oh
1: uh, no, you no, know, you don't have any reports like this. These are just like sightings in the water. Um, you know the the only damage that's really been caused is by this uh, to this plane where uh, uh, you know they tried to catch the thing, but. You know, people will see you know, maybe a head pop out of the water sometimes and kind of go back in. Uh, there were some. There's some witnesses to this. I, about five or six years ago, there was a, a new story that ran up in Alaska. Where, you know, people said that they had seen it just off the uh, just off the shore.
0: Hmm. Um. Sasquatch. We've got to talk about Sasquatch. They must be. I mean, unbelievably huge up there. I mean, there's the Pacific Northwest Sasquatch, and then. Uh, the ones seen in Alaska are they even bigger than the the, the ones in let's say Washington State?
1: <laughs> yeah, everything seems to be bigger in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, I was going to
0: say it's like Texas; everything's bigger there.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, and Alaska is uh, you know two and a half times the size of Texas. So <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, you know you do have a lot of, of course, the you know, traditional Sasquatch sightings. Uh, where people you know find the prints, or they you know see you know Bigfoot walking through their backyard, this sort of thing. Uh, you have different variations of, of this. You have like the, the Bushman, the, uh, the, uh, the Hairy Man, which is uh, – that's an interesting story uh, with uh, Portlock, Alaska. It was an old uh, uh, cannery, and salmon cannery, and it was in operation for quite a few decades there in the uh, early to mid-20th century. And <clears> – <throat> excuse me – and they were warned, don't go out in the woods, especially at night, because this, what they were calling the hairy man, uh, would would get you. And this was, it, it was passed down through the native lore, but there were times where they were finding body parts of somebody who had been mauled. There's no, uh, you know, one of the ideas is, okay, was it a bear? Well, there's no claw marks from a bear. And there's just a, you know, like a severed arm off on the side, not, not clean severed, but like it'd been ripped out of the person's body. Yikes. Uh, you know, bodies washing up on shore. You know, where are these, you know, what's happening to these people? And so it scared off uh, You know the workers there and it became a ghost town. Uh, but then you have the others like the kushtika, which uh very large in nature, but it's half man, half otter, which is a you know, very different makeup, but it has a lot of uh, Wendigo-type properties in that you know it lures people out into the woods and then either one, devours them, or two, could change them into another kushtaka, uh which is very troubling for the, the natives in the area because if, if you don't, uh, part of their tradition is if you don't die as a human, then your soul can't go on into the afterlife. So if you become a kushtika, then your soul is essentially damned. So uh, you know, very concerning for them.
0: Uh, do they have skinwalkers up there?
1: Um, no, not, uh, not the type of skinwalkers that we would uh, Consider traditionally down like in Skinwalker Ranch area, that sort of thing. Um, they you know, Kushnika again, kind of more like the Wendigo, trying um, to shape. Yeah, they don't really have too many shapeshifter legends up there, not that I can think of off the top of my head.
0: Do the um, indigenous people up there are they open about talking about these these creatures, or, or do you have to uh, really gain their trust first? Some are. I mean,
1: it's it's one of those like. Um, you know, our, our traditional uh, you know, Native Americans down here, what what would be considered the lower lower 40, I mean, they're all Native Americans, but you know, Alaska's Native Alaskan part of <laughs> Native Americans. You know, a lot of them are very hesitant to share their their stories. You know, there are certain um, certain legends and stories and secrets within the tribes that they don't want you know to become public knowledge. But we get a hold of some of these stories. Sometimes people are willing to share. Um, since I. You know, release the book i've had uh you know several of them reach out to me to give me a little bit more insight into some of these different uh legends and when it comes to you know even the the portal activity you know they're confirming for me that uh, yes this is even something that was within the native legend and lore the stories that have been passed down over the years yes these things do happen
0: all right, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. That's available wherever fine books are sold. Amazon.com, of course. I just got a couple of minutes here. Uh, tell us about the Connected Universe Portal.
1: Yeah, Connected Universe Portal. Thank you for asking. That is my online learning platform. Uh, we have a number of different courses out there. One is on shadow entities. There's another on, uh, on ancient Egypt. Uh, but we have a lot of uh, information on the, the back end, which is the member, member portal site. We have weekly classes out there where you know, we talk on a number of different esoteric topics. Uh, we have you know, a plethora of, of articles on a variety of topics as well, as well as uh, we have behind-the-scenes video sneak peeks, uh, things like that, monthly Q&A video. So a lot, a lot of information that is very interactive with, with the entire group out there.
0: ConnectedUniversePortal.com, and of course, there's com as well. Mike, a great pleasure to meet you. We'll have to do this again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Richard. I really appreciate this.
0: All right. Thank you. Uh, all right. Back next week with uh, John Russell, we'll talk about haunted objects, and uh, Ali C. documentary filmmaker, will talk about uh, UFO Disclosure from a Biblical Perspective. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan as well. Great to see you again, Carlos, in person. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Moo over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. If you're a fan of this radio program and the Strange Planet podcast, why not show it off? by wearing Strange Planet apparel or drinking from a Strange Planet mug. Check out all the great Strange Planet merch in my Strange Planet shop. Just go to the website strangeplanet.ca strangeplanet.ca and click on shop in the menu. There's a huge selection of men's and women's t-shirts. You like crop circles or the Mayan calendar? Gotcha covered. Are you into the Anunnaki? Wait till you see these designs. My favorite right now? Lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. And one of our bestsellers right now, Truth Gets You Crucified on the front and a passage from Matthew chapter 23 on the back. So many great t-shirt designs, I don't know where to begin. There's women's leggings and tote bags and of course, mugs. Great gifts for family and friends who listen and love this show. My Strange Planet shop. Visit today and often. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and check it out. As you know... GetTheTea.com has been a sponsor of my show for quite some time. Their all-natural life-change tea, with a unique blend of 12 herbs, has helped many of you to keep your digestive tract clean and healthy. It's so easy. You just brew, steep, refrigerate, and drink. One to two glasses a day helps keep your insides clean. You shower on a daily basis, right? So why not shower your insides with this delicious herbal made-in-the-USA tea that has helped thousands. GetTheTea.com is not a fad. They've been around for 14 years. It's an essential part of my life. My favorite is the pomegranate tea, and they're giving it to you for $8 off exclusively for my listeners. Why not make it an essential part of your life today? Go to getthetea.com slash Richard. That's getthetea.com slash Richard and save today. Remember, it's easy. Just brew, steep, refrigerate, and drink. Keep your gut healthy. They also carry an amazing variety of natural herbal supplements. Check them out at getthetea.com.